Well, praise the Lord, everyone. Glad to have you in the house of the Lord uh, tonight. And uh, uh, we're going to begin our study tonight on Revelation. We begin in chapter 1. So we'll go ahead and turn there. Uh, and uh, we're going to see what the Lord has to tell us. Now, I told somebody, you know, everybody's saying, well, I look forward to this. I wouldn't put pressure on the fellas, would you? Uh, you know, and, and there's one thing for sure. I can't tell you a new thing. There's not a new thing to tell it's the same story that's always been there. It's not going to change. Help us understanding it better will help a lot. And that's what we're here to do is try to understand the Word of God better. I was telling someone else that, you know, until we get past chapter 4, it's going to be kind of uh, you're, you're accustomed to, you've heard. And so by the time we get into chapter 4 and chapter 5, after the uh, what I believe the church has raptured out, you're going you're gonna to start seeing things that's very hard to understand. And we, there's none of us can say, we, I know what that means. We just can't, we're not able to say that because it's like they're talking a foreign language to us. So what I want you to do, I want you to, when you, as you study in Revelation with me, uh, I want you to, to just clear your mind of everything you've ever been taught, first and foremost. Because if I studied <laughs> Revelation this, this past few months, I found out that a lot of stuff that I always thought is not the way it is. And so I want you to clear your mind, and, it, and some of it that you know may, may still apply, but some of it may not. Okay, so we have this, this thinking that we do of how heaven's going to be, and what we need to understand right off the bat is the heaven they're talking about here is not where we're going to be in the end. Okay? We're going to be the place Jesus is prepared. He's preparing a new Jerusalem and he's preparing a new world. That's where we're going to wind up. So we're, what we're seeing them right now is totally different from that place. Okay? It's going to be changed too. So with that in mind, and I know there's going to be a lot of questions about these things. This is interactive. I still want you to interact. I want you to give your opinion. Uh, I want you to question. I may not know the answer, but somebody else may. And so you're, you, we're going to uh, do this openly and freely this way because our objective here is to come to a consensus together and be united in thought and united in purpose and see if we can come up with, the, with what the, thus says the Word of God in its truth, okay? And so uh, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. And uh, we're going we're gonna to begin our study in chapter 1 of Revelation. Father God, we love you and we praise your holy name. And Lord, you're just too great. You're just, you're too awesome. You, you know so much. We're not capable, God, in our minds, unless you reveal it to us, what all you have in your word. We just can't fathom all of it. So Lord, it's my prayer that through your Holy Spirit that you would enlighten us, that you would lead us into truth, that you would lead us into your word, that you would help us to understand the things that we're about to, to study. And God, it's been something that I've strayed away from for a long time, and you know that. But Lord, here we are. And Lord, it's time to be, quit being afraid of the Word of God and embrace the Word of God. Because Lord, we need to know what to tell our kids and grandkids what's coming so that we know. So Lord, help us to find this out. Teach us, O oh Lord, as only you can do. Forgive us of our sins start off brand new with us Lord and show us what the what the, the word of revelation has got for us to see in Jesus name we pray Amen, Amen. Amen. 
If I get somebody to read for me the first eight verses, please, and that's another thing. Don't be shy. I need readers to read when I ask you to. And volunteer. Who wants to read? Go ahead. <laughs> Revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto the servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel and to his servant John, to bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to be unto you and peace from him which is and which hath, was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which we are before were before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to be to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Amen. So when we, when we first are introduced to, to Revelation, I want you to know John sort of gives a testimony and an outline of what he's fixing to write down that the Lord has shown him that he wants him to write. The writer of, of this book is definitely John, the Apostle John. It says so plainly in verse 9. But he starts off, uh, and, and we know that he, he don't start off whining, he don't start off complaining, he don't start off grabbing because of the place he's at. He don't say anything about being unjustly uh, imprisoned or, or cast onto this island called Patmos where he's in exile. For, for preaching the, 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 the name of Jesus to people. He don't do that. He don't do that at all. And as a matter of fact, when he encounters the Savior there on, on, this, uh, on this island, he forgets about all, that, all of his troubles. Amen? He forgets, and he focuses. And y'all, listen to me. There's a, there's a sermon in that right there. We need to learn to focus on Jesus. And if we can just focus on Jesus, our troubles will seem smaller. Amen? Our troubles will seem smaller. And I know a lot of people have gone through a lot of heartache. And yet what we do when we have heartache, what we do when we have breath, what do we do? We turn to Jesus. Amen? Why? He's our strength. He is, he is our Savior. He is our friend. He's our companion. He never leaves us or forsakes us. And He understands everything about death. He holds death. Amen? He's got the keys to it. It's all about Him. And so that's why we feel what we do and why we turn to the Lord in times like that. And so when John is going through all the stuff that he's going, he turns to the Lord himself when he meets him. And it's a, it, the, this revelation is not John's revelation. John is the revelator, but he's not, it's not his revelation. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ, and it's written to his churches. Are, you, are we his church? Yes. Now specifically here, it's written to the churches, seven churches that are in Asia, and so, but it's written for all of us, all of his churches, amen? And so this is, it's an unveiling of what, uh, of things that are present then and things that are to come. Now we know the present things that John was experienced are over. 
but there's present things going on with us right now, and yet there's still an unveiling of things that are going to come later on. And that's what Revelation is all about. It's taking the veil away and allowing us to see what's going to come, hopefully, when we're not here. Now, I spent a lot of time in, uh, in prior weeks uh, explaining to y'all that I believe that we are a pre-tribulation rapture church. And it makes a lot of sense if you believe that. The things that you read and study here makes a lot more sense than it does if you believe it any other way. And so this first four, uh, first three chapters especially is, uh, is written to these churches. It's letters written to these churches. And, and, uh, and uh, he wants us to know what he, he says, what must shortly come to pass. And he sent and expressed it by an angel, or he signified it by his angel unto John, his servant John. So John has been encountered by an angel who has sent to show him some things. And in this encounter, he transforms him or takes him or in a vision, we're not really for sure, or he transcends up into glory with this angel where he does encounter all the things that are there and all the people that are there and the Lord Jesus Christ that is there. Amen? And so he... he he, he sees all these things, and, and all this stuff, according to, to this angel, is shortly uh, coming past. Now, we got to understand here that a, a, a lot of people can't, can't comprehend what shortly means to God, including us. Amen? Now, we want Jesus to come. No. Well, He's going to come when it's the right time, and He's not going to come before. He's not he going to come on the right time. And if it's a thousand years, ten thousand years, fifty thousand years, he's not coming until that designated time that he said only the Father knows. He said, I don't even know. Only my Father in heaven knows. Amen. And we kind of have trouble comprehending that because he's God. There's some things Christ didn't even know. He may know now. And since he's in glory, he's ascended, he's on the throne, he may know now. But while he was here, he was not allowed to tell us, nor could he tell us. He don't lie, does he? Jesus don't lie. He said, I don't know the day. I don't know the time. I don't know the hour. Only my Father. So he's ready to come back whenever that time is. And our part, his part is to be ready to come get us. And our part is to be ready for him to come get us. Amen? And so this is very important stuff. Though shortly to God don't mean anything. It's been 1,900 years or 2,000 years since this was written. And, and so uh, 2 Peter 3 and 8 says one day is what? It, one day is, is as a thousand years is, is like one day to God. So shortly is relevant to God. So it don't mean that he's going to come any minute. If you'll remember, the disciples started watching for Jesus to come back and get him before he got outside good. When they found out he's going to come back every day, they thought he's coming back, he'll get us. Uh, and we still need to have that attitude today. And so John is the last one left. There are none of the rest of them left. He's the only one that dies of old age. He, the rest of them have been martyred. They've been killed. They've been murdered, whatever you want to call it. Their blood has been spilt for the cause of Jesus Christ, yet they refuse to reject Jesus Christ. John would have done the same thing, but the Lord had other plans for him. They didn't try to kill John. They exiled John. And he had exiled John, I believe, for this purpose right here. Not only did he want him to write his gospel late so we can know what the Holy Spirit and the Comforter means and how we're supposed to live for him and how we're supposed to believe in him and, and carry our belief continuously through our lives, not just believe on him one time and then live our life. We believe on him every day for life. Amen? And so uh, John has, has been chosen by God specifically for this time so he can write this letter 
There's not another letter like it in all the scripture. Amen. There's prophecies and there's a lot of things going on, but there's nothing like this. So it's been this 2,000 plus years since this was written, and many struggle today with that, and Peter was hearing the same thing in his day. That's why he explained that, that one day is like a 1,000 years to God, and a 1,000 years is like a day to God. It doesn't matter to God. Time, God don't live in time. He lives in eternity. You know what eternity is? The absence of time. We don't have clocks and watches in heaven. We're not going to need them. Amen? We're not going to need that. It's an absence of time. It's eternity. We can't comprehend it. We can't fathom it because we watch everybody around us die. And, it, and we think it's an end. It's not. Death is a door that we walk through to Him. It's just a beginning. It's a beginning. It, in reality, is death is the end of this life and a beginning of the eternal life. One way or the other. Okay? The Bible is plain. It says the death is the door to eternity for those who know Christ, and it's a door to damnation for those who have rejected Him. That's what we. That's what we got to make straight with ourselves. And so <clears throat> Peter was evidently experiencing this thing. He he had the same naysayers that we hear today. Where and in Second Peter three and four, he says uh, it was said to Peter. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they as they were from the beginning of creation. So this same question is still going on today. People who don't believe in Christ and look for an excuse not to believe in Christ say, this is over 2,000 years old and y'all still harping on this stuff. It ain't happening. It ain't going to happen. Everything's still the same. It's getting worse, maybe. It's still, still the same thing we hear today. So he starts us off. So we understand that we got to be patient and wait on God. Wait on the Lord. That's what our part is. And so uh, John bears record of the testimony of Jesus Christ. He said this is about Jesus Christ. And, and, that, and everything that was revealed to him, verse 3, look in verse 3, assures us a blessing but with a condition. All right? Now, I want to tell you right now, this is one of seven blessings that listed in the book of Revelation. There are seven blessings that are listed to the people of God in Revelation. This is one of them. And, and, uh, and uh, so uh, he said, Blessed is he that readeth. And I, when I read this, I thought, Man, and I have put this off and put this off and put this off. And here he says, You need to do this. You need to read this. He that readeth, uh, uh, is blessed is he that readeth now listen to this and they that hear the words of this prophecy now look at this and keep them uh oh I preach this all the time and I'm still preaching it tonight it's in Revelation it's in the end time book of the Bible it's the same it has not changed it will not change it will never change it's still up to us to do it we, we read it or we hear it, then it's up to us to do it. And if you skip the doing it, the reading it and hearing it don't mean nothing. <laughs> Saying it don't mean a thing. And so it, it, it it's all makes the same application and it's here in the first chapter so we'll understand that. The words of this prophecy and you keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. And I believe we are so much closer. I know we are. It, I mean, just logic tells us that we're much, much more closer. But the signs of the time 
the signs that Jesus told us would it would be like are here and plain. The things I talked to the Gideons this morning and the things that Isaiah prophesied about the end time where good will be evil and evil will be all of those things. We are living in that day when the woes of God are upon us now. And we see these things and John, is, John knows these things. Jesus knows these things. So it's important that the, this time that is at hand, and, and, and this is something that, that we need to keep in mind, and to do it any other way is meaningless. We must put uh, uh, action to what we believe. And this is, is also uh, the first of the seven blessings, as I said, and John addresses this writing to the seven churches of Asia and tells them it is from Jesus, him which, is, is, uh, which was, which is to come, and and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Now we're introduced here some to, to, uh, something here in the book of Revelation that's not really talked about a whole lot in the scripture. We know that there are spirits, I mentioned this morning, that the children have spirits that watch over them. Jesus said that himself. He said the, the little ones have some angels that, that watch over them and report back to God what happened to them. Now, when does that angel start, I wonder? Amen. I don't know, but I have a feeling at conception they start. Mm -hmm. Amen? Yeah. And so uh, these, these angels are there. And now that we find out the churches, there are seven spirits that are, go through the churches of God who report back to God about what's going on in the churches. Amen? And so he chooses seven uh, churches. The seven is God's perfect number. So he uses seven churches and seven spirits, and he began to show us here a little later on what these, these spirits are telling him about what's going on in the churches. Amen? And so, so these, these are things that are new that, that, that we come on these seven spirits. Now, now these seven spirits, they oversee the churches. They report to God. You're going to see that in, in chapter 5, verse 6 a little later on. Now John acknowledges that this is from Jesus Christ. And when he acknowledges that it is from Jesus Christ, John can't help himself. He begins to worship and praise his Savior. Y'all listen to me. He's exiled. He's basically in prison. He's basically all alone. How many of you feel alone sometimes? All alone. And nobody understands where I'm going through. Don't nobody. He does. And when he, even though despite his situation, he breaks out in this, this chorus of, of, of praise of God, the faithful witness, he says, the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, him who loved us and washed us, washed our sins in his blood. Boy, he's, that, that's a great praise, isn't it? Do you feel that way about Jesus? Do you realize what he's done? Do you know the magnitude of what he's done for me and you? That he has washed us and he has cleansed us of our own sin with his own blood. Praise God. And hath made us kings and made us priests unto God his Father. We are to give him glory for the for he has dominion over over everything forever and ever. He is coming again in clouds, and every eye shall see him. The kindreds of the and the Jewish people is going to see him too, uh, uh, who pierced him. All the kindreds, all the people, all the earth shall well because of him. Now this is a prophecy that is given to John in Revelation that comes from Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. 
Let me read this to you so you'll understand that even in heaven, even in this end time prophecy, the prophecy of the Old Testament still reigns true. That which has not been accomplished that was prophesied in the Old Testament is going to be accomplished. If it hasn't been accomplished already, it's coming. Amen? It's going to, all of it's going to be fulfilled. All of it will be accomplished. Do you believe that? Well, this prophecy in, in Zechariah, uh, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10 reads like this. I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon thee, on me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Now this is a futuristic promise. Why? It's a futuristic prophecy. Why? Because the Jews don't believe in Jesus. This scripture says they will. And when they do, they're going to see him. Hallelujah. Do you believe it? It says it. I believe it, don't you? So this is one of the things that John wants the readers of this to know. That these prophecies are going to cut. Now another description of Jesus is in verse 8. Look in verse 8. It says, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and I am the end, saith the Lord. And then John adds, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. Now, I love this scripture and I love this, this book because when John sees Jesus, he ain't got a clue who he's looking at. I got a theory about that. We'll get to that when we get there in a little bit, okay? Got a theory about that. Any comments about this so far? This is John's introduction to the Revelation. And uh, somebody want to read for me verses uh, 9, let's see, verses 9 through 20, please. I'll read it for you. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with the garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with the golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand several star seven stars, and out of the mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. <coughs> and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forever. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. 
Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Amen. Thank you. And so in verse 9, John, John explains himself and where he is. He tells, he tells us uh, that, uh, um, he tells the churches of Asia that he is their brother and companion in tribulation. I want you to think about this. If there's ever a time we need to recognize our brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world, it's now. Amen? It's now. It's, it's time for the, the, the people who, who are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, who are redeemed by the Lamb, who, who have been filled with the Holy Spirit, who have repented, who believe in Christ Jesus as we do. I don't mean everything that we do. I said in Christ Jesus as we believe. It's time for us to unite as one. It's time for us to become uh, uh, companions in tribulation because we're fixing to fit, uh, face a lot of tribulation. This book tells us that what we're seeing now is the beginning of it. It's the tip of the iceberg. And once coming down the pipe, we ain't ready for it. Amen? That's why I hope and pray that the Lord takes us away before we get into chapter 4 and chapter 5 where, where it, bluntly all hell breaks loose on earth. Amen? For the wrath of God is poured out upon this planet for what's happening now and what's happened in the past. They did it during the time of uh, Noah, during the time of the flood. God had had enough and he killed everybody that was there. And so uh, when uh, this is a, this is the description of, that we all have as Christians with what John said. We are fellow servants. We are fellow companions in tribulation. And we sometimes limit this to local church and the church where we attend. We need to stop doing it that way. Amen. We need to quit limiting this authority that God has given his church to one local building or one local congregation. We need to come together in, in, a, in a much broader sense and be able to, to, to fight Satan together. And we all have been called, uh, who have called on the name of the Lord and been saved worldwide, our brothers and companions in Christ. Now John goes on to say that, that he, he tells us, he said, I'm on the Isle of Patmos. I'm exiled because he preached the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now verse 10 to me is, is, is the most significant verse in this whole chapter. What is it? What does he say in verse 10? He said, I was in the spirit when? On the Lord's day. I asked y'all a series of questions this morning he came. We need to come prepared to see Jesus in his church every time we come together to worship Him. We need to leave everything behind. We need to leave everything at home. We need to leave our ills. We need to leave, leave our arguments. We need to leave, leave all of that stuff behind. And we need to get our act together and come together to worship Him. And I promise you this, if we would do that, you'd see a whole different thing happen at this church. If we could quit talking about each other and start talking about Jesus Christ, you'd see a lot of stuff change. Amen? You'd see stuff like you never thought you'd see ever. We've seen it before here. I've seen it before here. And we need to see it again. And so we need to get on because he, he said, I, I, he said we, 
We have got to get our act together. And he and, and so he said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Amen. And God help us that we on the Lord's day, we at least on that day, get in the spirit of God. To come to the house of God with expectation, with longing, to hear him with anticipation that he will reveal himself to us, not come in dread, not come in anger, not come ready to tell someone all. That's being stuck on yourself. I ain't worshiping the Lord. Think about that. How ridiculous that's going to sound when we stand before him and he questions us about that. Why'd you go to church with that attitude? Well, why they just burnt me up? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you weren't in the spirit when you came. You was in the wrong spirit when you came. There's too many church services that start off in the wrong spirit or ended in the wrong spirit. We need to be in the spirit of God and we need to be in that spirit of worship. And so we don't need to dread coming to church. We need to enjoy coming to church. We need to be full of the Spirit. And we need to, to uh, uh, be in the Spirit when we get here. And we need to have His mind and our mind totally on Jesus Christ. And when that's happened, when He was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, something happened. There was a manifestation of the Lord to Him. You don't, you don't see more Jesus? Get in the Spirit. Amen? You want Jesus to show himself more in church? Get yourself in the Spirit. Get in the Spirit and you'll see him. Because that's where he is. That's who he is. Amen? If you want to see Jesus, if you want more manifestation, if you want more revelation from Jesus, get in the Spirit. Let me tell you what, he ain't putting it on you. He ain't forcing it on you. He ain't making you listen. He ain't making you hear. And he ain't going to make you do. Amen? I didn't know where chapter 1 was going to lead to this, did you? Oh, it's going to get good, though. Okay. So we come to the house of God this way. And when, when he, he made this remark that I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and the Lord manifested himself to John, behind me, he says, a great voice as a trumpet. Can you imagine thinking you're the only one on this island that you're exiled? You know you're having these visions. You know you, you're encountering these angels. You know that you're you're given a purpose. You know, and all of a sudden a booming voice comes up behind them. Hey, here I am. Wow. What would that do to you? I know what it'd do to me. It'd scare the petunias out of me. Amen? And so, so talk about a shock. And he said it sounded, it was a great voice behind him as a trumpet. Wow. And so the Lord introduces himself as Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. He gives John instruction. And this, look at the instruction that, John, that he gives John. What you see, write it in a book and send it to the seven churches of Asia. What you see, write it in a book. Now, that gives credence to me to the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation is what John wrote that he saw and what he heard. Is it all complete? No. That was some stuff he was told not to write. Amen? That was some stuff he was told not to write. But what he was told to write, he wrote it all down. And, and, he, and his mission was to get it to these churches. Now why? Would the, the Lord want to give these revelations to the churches? Why? Why does He want us to know these things? We're Christians. We're His children. We're joint heirs with Him. 
We need to know what's coming. Why? So we'll work harder, so we'll work more diligently, so we'll try harder to see our kids saved, our drink, because what's coming ain't pretty, it's ugly, it's horrible, and it's going to be a terrible time to live in. And we need to have as many as possible ready to get out of this place before this hits. And he's going to tell us here in a little bit. But first, he wants the churches to look within themselves and deal with their own issues and overcome them. And it's, you know, I hear people all the time say, well, I just can't get over that. <laughs> really? Would you tell that to Jesus? You need to get over not being able to get over that. Man, if you can't get over something, you got a problem. Amen. We need to learn to get over getting up, not getting over. That's right. Amen. And, and so, because it, it all depends. We have to be one. We have to be united in purpose. We have to be united in Christ. Uh, in, in, in Christ. We have to be of one mind. We have to be of one accord. And the scripture, everywhere that takes place in the church, there was a gigantic movement of God. You want to see people get saved? You want your grandkids to get saved? Then get united with each other in Jesus. You'll see it. But not divided. Won't happen. Amen? So he said Jesus wanted this written not only for the seven churches but for us today. This word is still here today for us. We're not in Asia. We're in the United States of America. But we're living in a time much similar to the idolatry that they were working in then. Much similar. Even in our nation today. So upon hearing these words, John, now John ain't turned around and seen him yet. So upon hearing these words, this thunderous voice, he jumped this high, he's listening to everything he said, he turns to see who was speaking to him. Wow. And he saw seven golden candlesticks. Ain't that weird? Is God weird or what? I mean that in the best kind of way. God usually does not give us what we expect. He gives us the unexpected and then tells us why. Amen? And so we have to be careful that we don't question God too much. And he saw seven golden candlesticks and in the midst of them was one like unto the Son of Man. Who was the Son of Man to John? It was Jesus Christ. And that's why he referred to this like, he looked like the Son of Man. He, he, but look at this description of him. He was clothed in a garment down to his feet with a golden girdle around his chest. His hair was white like wool, white as snow. His eyes were a flame of fire. His feet was like fine polished brass. And his voice loud as many waters. Now listen to me. John had encountered Jesus a lot in his lifetime. He had walked with him. He had laid his head in his chest. He had gone, watched him do miracles. He had listened to his preaching. He had seen Jesus countless times. He watched them beat Jesus. He was present during all that stuff. He saw them nail him to a cross. He saw them kill him. He helped put him in the grave. And he went the next day. He wasn't there. He saw him resurrected. 
He stayed with him for 40 days after that resurrection. And he listened to what Jesus said. He watched Jesus Christ ascend up through the clouds into glory. And yet he didn't know this man. Why? Something I always tell y'all. Before you know the line of the tribe of Judah, you got to know somebody else first. Who is that? You gotta know the lamb. If you don't know the lamb, he'll never meet the lion. John knew the lamb. And the lion was standing there looking at him, and it was spooky what he saw. Can you imagine the hair standing up on this man's body as he beheld the sight and heard this voice? Yet he knew it was him, but it wasn't him. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. That's why Israel will never know the line that they're looking for until they know the Lamb which was sent to them. Still applies. Hadn't changed. When they know the Lamb, they'll meet the line. John knew the Lamb. Now he's meeting the line. And he's seeing him in his splendor. He's seeing him in his element. And he's seeing him in his church. Amen. It's a beautiful thing here. And so you have to get your mind focused on, on who he is there. And we're going to see a little later on, he's the lamb again. And I'll ask you a question. Who do you think, and just ponder this, don't answer now. Who do you think is more powerful, the lion or that lamb? <laughs> You're going to find that out before it's over with. Point out there right together. Yeah, yeah. But what you just said, that description, was what I love about it, is the same description as Daniel seeing the Ancient of Days sitting on the throne. His description is the same, it's the same. as who's looking at right now. Amen. It's the same. It's I think one is stronger than the other. They just have a different purpose. Yes. Yeah, this, this is some beautiful stuff. And, and when he gave this, John had seen Jesus all these ways, and he said there was something that came out of his mouth. What was it? A sword, not just a sword, a double two-edged sword, amen, was coming out of his mouth. It was proceeding out of his mouth. When he saw this, he, he, John began to recognize and understand that the things that he knew about Jesus Christ and prophecy and the things that, they, that was used in symbolism, he's now looking at the real thing. Amen. Now, what's he going to use this two-edged sword that's coming out of his mouth for? To bring wrath to an evil world. Amen. And that ain't all, boy. He does a lot more before he ever shows up to do that. But we're going to get into all this stuff before we get through this study. And, and so he, he has seen all these things. And he begins to speak to John when John saw him. And, and like I said, he had to be horrified. But I love what Jesus, when, when, when John saw him, what did John do? He fell down. He couldn't look at him. He couldn't stand in the presence of this man, the Son of Man. He couldn't stand there. He fell on his face like he was a dead man. He couldn't look at him anymore. And I love what the verse says. What Jesus done to him, what did he do? He reached out and touched him. Hallelujah. The God of all glory reached out and touched a man 
that was in fear of him because he didn't want him afraid. He said, I, he didn't tell him these things, but he had already told him prior, I'm your friend. I'm your brother. I will bring you peace. I will be all of these things. The book of John's full of all the things Jesus is and was to him. And when he laid his hand on John, he took away the fear. Amen. He, he took the fear away from John when he touched him. How many times in the scripture does the Bible tell us Jesus touched the untouchable people? He laid his hand on them. He wasn't afraid of them. He did the lepers that way. He touched the leper. He did the unthinkable because he is not like we are. He's God. And so as John bowed to him, as John was in fear of him, the Bible says that he uh, he reached down, put his hand and touched him and said, Fear not, for I am the first and I am the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Glory to God. He wanted John. When John, he told John this, when he got the fear out of John, when John could listen to him, pay attention to him, he told him these things and John knew exactly that he was talking to the same Jesus that he knew. Because that's what had happened to Jesus. And so Jesus explained it to him in all and what he was in the way he looked. And so he <clears throat> he shared this with him. He said, and Jesus had, had not, now listen to me, Jesus had not forgotten in, in this place what he had experienced on earth. He didn't forget those things. He knew that he had been crucified. He knew all the things that happened. He knew, but he remembered his resurrection. And he shares with John the victory that he obtained. And what else did he add to that? He said, I have something. So I've got the keys. What I experienced, I have the keys. I experienced them so I could win the victory. I didn't lose the victory. I didn't lose the battle. I won it. And I had the keys of hell and the grave. Amen. Praise God of hell and death. And again, verse 19, Jesus mentions uh, in, in, in instructs John to write these things that he has seen. Now look at this. What you have seen, the things which you see now, and the things which is to be shown to you. So he was telling John, get ready. You know me. You've seen me. You've gotten over your fear. I want you to walk with me. I want you to listen to the things. I want you to see what this angel instructs you and tells you about. Uh, and he had a personal uh, emissary that took him around where he was at to show him things. This angel was. Okay? And so he said, I want you to, to write all of these things down that you're going to see and are going to be shown and that you're seeing right now. So that's what John is writing right now, what we're talking about. He was writing this down or he wrote it down after it happened so we could see it. And so what a blessing for John to be chosen out of all to be shown these things that are so important for us today. Jesus begins by, expand, by explaining what John had already seen in verse 20. He said the seven stars, he, when he saw him, he saw seven stars, and he explained to him, because see, 
when you're in the presence of God and you're identified with God and you understand who God is and you're in the spirit, re revelation comes to you. He begins to explain to you what it is you're looking at so you will understand it for yourself. And that's what he's doing to John. John's going to write this down so we can understand what he was saying and we can understand what he was looking at. And so he says, the, uh, he says, uh, he, he says, uh, he began to explain the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. We already talked about them. The, these seven stars. Now, for all I know, there's a million of them. I don't know how many churches there are. For all I know, there's an angel for every church. He's talking to seven churches and there's seven angels. Amen? And so we don't know these things. We can only guess at these things. And he said, and the seven candlesticks are the seven churches. So each church is a candlestick. Each church has a star or spirit that governs and looks over this church, not to govern and to, to have his way in the church, but to report to Jesus Christ what the church has got going on. And you're going to see when we get into this next chapter, when we start talking to these churches, these angels know what's going on. They know the good, the bad, and the ugly. Reckon what our angels telling them about us. Well, that's something to think about, isn't it? What, what's, what do y'all think that the angel of Lake Country, the candlestick Lake Country, is telling the Lord about our church? Boy, it's quiet in here. Nobody wants to even guess? Hmm. I have a question about that. Okay. Uh, since God is all knowing and everything, why, why, why would He need an, why would He need angels to? Because that's the way He's all knowing. The Bible said that His eyes are all over the earth; He sees everything. He uses His angels, although He's omnipresent and He can dwell in each one of us at one time. We have the Holy Spirit in us. Guess what the Holy Spirit does for us? It speaks to God when we ain't got our mouths open. Amen. <laughs> When we ain't got a clue what we're supposed to pray for, guess what the Holy Spirit He's praying for you to a God because He knows what you need and He knows what God has for you and what you need from Him. So He does that. That is a gift of the Holy Spirit that He intercedes for us on our behalf when we know what to pray for. Amen. Have you ever been to a point you didn't know what to pray for? You didn't know what to ask God? You didn't know how to ask God? Never fear. The Holy Spirit does. And the Bible says he does just that. Amen? And so, these, he, and so Jesus begins to explain to him that the seven, seven is the number of completion and, and that uh, the seven candlesticks are the seven churches and that, uh, that, that this is the number of completion. The atoning work of Jesus has been completed. He has established his church. He sees all within each church. He sees all them things. And he is in the midst of them, and they are his. Now, he didn't write that down. I'm telling you what he showed me that that meant. He's there. He's here. If we are a candlestick, if we are his church, he's here. Amen? He sees all. He knows all. Listen to me. We, we, we say this lightly sometimes. Could it be that he's right now walking right down these aisles and he's looking at your heart, your heart, your heart. He sees what you're thinking. 
He knows what's on your mind, Charlie. He sees every one of us, and he knows who we are, where we are, what we're thinking, what we're thinking about him, or if we're just thinking, I sure we wish we'd stop doing this and just go home. He knows those things. Are you listening to me? If you believe that, that's what he's doing. And when we start studying in the next chapters about these churches, he knew exactly what was going on in them churches. Not only did he know exactly what was going on in them churches, he knew exactly who was doing the things in the church that he didn't approve of. And he knew who was doing the things he did approve of. We need to remember that about him. It's always been this way. Even when he walked as a man, he knew those that were his and he knew those that weren't his. He knew the difference. Amen. Y'all, we're out of time now. We did get through chapter one. Amen. That's a big thing, whether you know it or not. You got any questions or comments about this? Yes, sir. I just want to go back to verse six and point out one thing. How come you always go that far back? <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Just point out one thing that some may have missed. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and His Father. Mm -hmm. It's not not often you got Jesus referred to as God mm -hmm. in the Bible, but He is here. He is here. That's, he is here. And one of the epistles says, "Our great God and Savior Jesus Christ." Our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. We, we got to remember it. it one thing we can't understand is omnipresence. We cannot understand omnipotence, and we cannot understand omnipotence is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing. We can't understand that. <laughs> you know, John asked that question. If he can see all this, and what's he need spirit to tell on the floor? That's God. His plan, His way. His angels are here, by the way. Yes, sir? It could have something to do with the in the uh, eyes of two or three weaknesses. Could we're not going we're not going to be able to die because we've got weaknesses. Yeah. That's could be. Okay. Right. I got a question. I know it don't seem like it fits here, but it does where I'm reading. <clears throat> it's probably stupid. When God made the covenant with Abraham with the Jews, his promise does does it end when Christ was crucified? Is that the end of his promise to the Jewish people? Is, no. Under that covenant? No, but it's not the end, but it, it's a stalling out point for salvation for the Jews because they came a rock of offense and a stumbling stumbling. It was prophesied that that would happen and happen for a specific reason. That is so the Gentiles could see the light and come to it. And he focused it on the Gentile church. And that's why in the, in the book of Hebrews it says, I think it's Hebrews. I may have a little book wrong. But his that, promise was that he would be the father of all, all nations. And, That's right. And he's done that. And the Jews would not receive that. They wouldn't receive that he was a father of a Gentile nation or nothing. This revelation is for them as well. The, we just want to look here, but it's Re not that one. Revelation is written to the churches, people who believe in Jesus Christ. And it's written about a time that is, he's going to deal with the Jewish people yeah. when salvation comes to the Jewish people and what it's going to take to get them there. Mm -hmm. And what it's going to take to get them there. And it's a lot. 
<laughs> a lot. The, the, when he, you know, when God in the Old Testament said, this is a stiff-necked people, told Moses, he said, just get out of the way, let me kill all of them, I'll make a great nation out of you. This is the stiff-necked people, the hard-headed, the stubborn people I've ever encountered. And he, he knew, he knew. God was frustrated with them, their pig-headedness. And Revelation is going to reveal to us exactly how pig-headed they are before they realize they made a mistake. That they killed the one, they pierced the one that could save them. And that was the scripture we read from Zechariah while ago. When they recognize this, that's when they're going to reach for him. And that's when he's coming to them. Amen. And I'm going to get ahead of myself. We're going to be with him. Amen. We're going to come to <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. It's good stuff, isn't it? It's going to get better. It's going to get more mystifying. It's going to get become like a science fiction movie before it's over with. And it's going to be hard to understand. But realize that God controls everything, including the forces of nature, which is the most. Y'all, we got H-bomb and A-bomb. We don't have anything to compare with the forces of nature. Nothing. We don't have a bomb that can compete with that. And God's going to use every yes, sir. That verse is where he's reading about two-edged sword. You know that. Well, the Bible talks about the Word of God is sharper and more powerful than any two-edged sword. And words are the most powerful thing. It's like in the beginning. God created, God said, God said, God said, and boom, it happened. Mm -hmm. That two-edged sword you read about a while, a while ago, is that... Word of God it is absolutely the word of God. That word, but it's got to come from his mouth for wrath to come to the world. When he comes back and he's got that two-edged sword, he's going to destroy an army, a gigantic army, with his mouth. And we've already, he's already shown us in the in the scripture, you know, like when he came to Lazarus' tomb, we ain't got to that on Wednesday night yet. He called Lazarus by name to come forward. And a lot of people think if he had just said come forth, everybody in the grave would have popped up, walked around. When he died, there were people that resurrected and walked through the city. We don't, we don't preach about that much because it's beyond our comprehension. How, where'd he go? We don't know. The Bible don't say. Where'd he come from? We don't, who are they? We don't know. He just said it happened. Do you believe it? Yeah, I believe it. It happened. And so that's God. That's God. He's always doing things we don't understand. And he's always doing things that we got more questions than we got answers for. But one of these days, we're going to know. We're going to know. When we become like Jesus, we're going to know. Amen. Any more questions? That two-edged sword is important, and it's going to show up again later. <laughs> Well, thank y'all for being here tonight. Study chapter two, read it, get some questions, write down some questions, write down your thoughts if you'd like. It's gonna be an open forum where we can reason together about these things. And uh, I've got all mine written down. This is my journal of my study of Revelation. And I may be wrong in some of this. Matter of fact, I went back over and found a question, some of it myself, and might even rewrote a little bit of it. But, uh, you know, it's just things that, that that you can see if you look at the Word, 
and you and you read the word like we're doing right now, and you 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 kind of diagram the word, and you look and you say, "Wow, I didn't see that when I read it." We see that happens to us all the time, doesn't it? I just didn't see that. I didn't I didn't understand it that way. But boom, there it is. Now I see it. That's what study's about. That's what the church is about. That's what the Spirit of God is about. He reveals truth to us. It will I wonder. Sir? It's called the living word. It's the living word. And it's still just alive. You know what? The stuff we face and study in here ain't happened yet. That's the spooky part. That is the spooky part. It ain't happened yet. And we don't know when it is going to happen. But so, it will. But it's real. Amen. We just stand. Lord, lady, sister, Sherry's uh, <coughs> asked me to pray for her. And so we're going to do that. I'll get up kind of gather around him after to get up. So that's why I'm praying for her. can't stand up without falling over. You asked for this. I know, I know. So let's, uh, let's pray for it. <coughs> if you want to gather around and get close to someone, we're gonna, I'm going to pour all on her. Get the fire. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we come to you trusting you, believing everything in your word. Your word tells us if there's any sick among us, let him go before the elders of the church. Let them anoint their head with oil. Put their hands on and pray, and you will hear from heaven. So, God, this is our prayer. We claim that truth, God. And we claim it in the name of Jesus because we don't have power, but He does. He's our great healer, He's our great physician. And so, Lord, in the name of Jesus, we lift up to share it to you. We pray, God, that you would clear her head of the dizziness that's causing her to fall and stumble. We pray, God, that uh, you would take away the, the feeling of drunkenness that she's experiencing. And God, we just pray that you would give her a balance in her body, in her mind, in her heart, and in her soul. Uh, God, that a balance that you and you alone are going to hold her. You're going to hold her upright. You're going to keep her from falling. And if she does, you're going to pick her up and let her walk some more. God, in the name of Jesus, we pray, God, that you would touch our sister, that you would heal her, that you would bring her peace and comfort in this time. And God, take away this distance, and we know you can. So, Lord, we pray your will be done in her life, in her body, and in, in her, her mind. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless y'all.